From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set. I'm Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. This is a podcast all about surgery and the individuals who are at the cutting edge of it, and we're glad you're here. Dr. Courtney Morgan is an assistant professor within the Division of Vascular Surgery here at the Department of Surgery in Madison. Like most vascular surgeons, she specializes in open and endovascular techniques for the treatment of vascular diseases. Unlike most vascular surgeons, she has a special focus on vascular injuries in young, healthy athletes and is a high-performance athlete herself, having just completed her sixth Ironman competition. As you'll hear, Dr. Morgan's background is in engineering and ballet. She received her undergraduate degree in engineering and did medical school at the University of Pennsylvania, then did her residency at Northwestern University before coming to UW-Madison. Enjoy. So Courtney, welcome to the surgery set. It's such a pleasure to have you here and for me to feel like I'm no longer like one of the newest faculty at the institution. (laughs) Thank you. It's good to be here. I think this is great place to be so far. Yeah. How long have you been here? Tell us a little bit about not just your first few months at the university, but how did you find your way to the University of Wisconsin in Madison? So I've been here almost two years to the date. I actually came by way of Northwestern in Chicago. I did my vascular surgery training there as one of the integrated vascular surgery residents. I think it was the second one to start the program. It was pretty new at the time. And just so people understand, like it used to be that vascular surgery was something that you did at the end of like a whole general surgery thing, right? So you do your five years of general surgery and then two years of vascular surgery and then vascular more than other places actually started uh, or what was one of the first places to start saying like, yeah, why don't we just like start training vascular surgeons right out of the gate and now it's like a, a six-year combined program? Yeah, essentially it's it's called zero plus five because it's five clinical years of vascular surgery rather than say five clinical years of general surgery plus two years of vascular fellowship. So it's we have zero plus five and five plus two is how we tend okay. to term them. yeah, yeah. It is a relatively new paradigm. Actually, when I was a medical student, I became interested in vascular surgery a little bit late to the game, was thinking to myself, wow, you know, I know that why I want to go into surgery is because I want to go into vascular surgery. Wouldn't that be nice if I could just start vascular surgery right away? Um, Not knowing that these programs existed because I was at an institution that didn't have that type of program. And one of the residents said to me, you know, I think they have these like new vascular surgery programs. You should probably check them out. And lo and behold, did a little bit of research and figured out that that was an option. So you basically, you need to know that you want to go into vascular surgery in medical school, not that you might want to go into vascular surgery, but that you definitely want to go into vascular surgery. But the advantage is, is that you're really part of the vascular team from day one. There's still, you know, several years where you're doing predominantly general surgery training, but you come out just boarded in vascular surgery. What was it about vascular surgery that made you know that you wanted to do that to the exclusion of all other things? I did engineering in undergraduate. I found that vascular surgery was a very good direct application of a lot of the principles of engineering that I had learned. So a couple aspects of vascular really stuck out to me. One was that it's a largely problem-solving based field. There's often more than one way to solve a pretty complex, difficult problem that we encounter and on a lot of our patients. And I think seeing the vascular teams I rotated on talk about so if we have to get 
blood from here to here and here are obstacles, here are the options that we have. And really being able to work as a team and problem solve was very um, intriguing to me. The other big thing that really drew me to it is as a vascular surgeon, we do both endovascular and open surgery. And so we have a very diverse toolbox of how we can approach the problem. The endovascular side, really, we work on cutting-edge technology, and it's a completely evolving field. And And that's like putting in stents and things that you deploy under radiographic guidance rather than opening people up and looking at the blood vessel. Yeah, so we do, I would say about, depending where you go, 30 to 50% of what vascular surgeons do is done less invasively, sort of using wires, catheters, um, balloon stents to, to solve the problem. And vascular surgery is one of the few fields that the surgeons are the ones that do this sort of less invasive approach. Each year that I've even been interested in the field or been in training, I've seen more and more ways and options of us being able to approach that. And so I really liked that we could do both aspects of treating our patients. You know, that was something that you can sort of, especially as an engineer, really appreciate the technology and appreciate how that can be developed and where it's going. That's awesome. So engineering undergrad, med school, Chicago? No, No. at at University of Pennsylvania. Oh, Uh, cool. Okay. And then on to Chicago for your integrated vascular. Yeah got here a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. How's it going? It's great. I mean, I think that uh, University of Wisconsin is a great place to work. I think our faculty here in vascular surgery is very diverse in terms of experience, interest, abilities, what they enjoy doing. I really enjoyed having a, an amazing group of partners to work with and bounce ideas off of and learn from. I think the history here is fantastic. I really learned a lot from Dr. Turnipseed about his work with athletes and have gotten to springboard off of that. Yeah, and you're an athlete yourself. Like We should not discount the fact that you are currently wearing an Ironman <laughs> necklace. Tell us a little bit more about that because it, it totally plays into actually a lot of the work that you, you do. I've sort of been an athlete my whole life. I suspect part of what actually drew me to surgery is that it's also a physical endeavor and that um, that's always been something I really enjoy. So I did gymnastics the first 22 years of my life through college. And then after that, which gymnastics is obviously not an endurance sport in any way, shape, or form, but you really can't be a gymnast in your adult years unless you're doing like Cirque du Soleil or something like that. So I decided to try out endurance sports and started running marathons after that because I just wanted something to replace all those hours that I Instead of joining the circus. Yeah, instead of joining the circus. Although at one point, I think during our Ivy League championship one year, we, our team had made a bunch of like balloon animals because one of our teammates was injured and we wanted to cheer her up. Oh. And the coach at Yale, who was really our fiercest competitor, specifically said to me, I'm not sure why it was me, well, if school doesn't go so well for you, you could always run off and join the circus. Yeah. And so it's considered multiple times. But so, um, but yeah, so I started running after that and actually... I'm not a great runner. Like I'll, I can. I think what makes me a good endurance athlete is that I just keep going, not that I go fast. And I don't really have like the best body habits for that or anything like that. And so I've always thought like triathletes would be, triathlons would be really fun. I'm hmm. a decent swimmer. I'd never really biked a ton, and sort of the barrier to entry to me was very high. I actually thought you needed to have a friend come with you and watch your stuff while you did a triathlon. Um, I didn't <laughs> Is that That's not true? That's not true. Because so. you're talking to a, like a theater person here. I, I know nothing. 
I had no clue about triathlons, but in fact, there's something called a transition area where you, you know, you put your bike there, you put your shoes there. So a triathlon goes swim, bike, run in that order, right. probably for safety reasons. To minimize the drowning risk. Yes, yeah. to minimize the drowning <laughs> or risk. Or the falling off the bike risk. Exactly. Yeah. So you go out for your swim, you come back into the transition area and you, you know, you put on your bike shoes, you take your bike, you put your helmet on, you go out for your bike, you come back into that same like little location that's usually with enclosed in like a barrier fence and has bike racks in okay. it so you um have like sort of a locker yeah, so you have like, like a spot high to speed go. pit stop yeah it's just orientation. it's basically a pit stop so then yeah. you put your bike back in you grab your running shoes you go out for your run so yeah. i had no idea that a triathlon worked like that and so that was sort of part of my barrier to entry as i was, I was like well you know i'm living in a new place I don't really have like a lot of like close friends I don't have anybody who could like come watch my bike for me while I do this yeah. race so I kind of I met somebody who was training for a triathlon on the way to the Chicago Marathon actually on the plane and he steered me in the right direction and told me no in fact there's these things called transition areas and it's not that difficult to do a triathlon so yeah. I basically signed up for my first triathlon and said I like this way better than running when I think of my barriers to entry to a triathlon, it's like drowning, falling off the bike, and then falling over dead in the middle of the run. It says something about your athletic ability that your biggest concern was like someone might steal your shoes. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's pretty. It's like whatever. I'll swim two miles, like bike a thousand miles, or whatever it is. You know, run a marathon, no problem. That's so cool. Yeah, it was. It is. It, I think it's funny, and I do like to share that story because I'm sure there's other people out there that have similar barriers to entry. Yeah, so. and you have done an Ironman. Yeah, I, so or, I just finished my sixth Ironman, like, oh my God. a week and a half ago, so. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And you're standing up. Yeah. You know, at this point, I haven't, like, exercised in a week and a half, so yeah. I feel good. I'm That's recovering. incredible. So. Amazing. Mm-hmm. How do you think that being an athlete and, like, a high-performance, high-endurance athlete <laughs> affects the work that you do as a surgeon? So I think there's a lot of parallels between being a surgeon, especially a vascular surgeon, where our cases can be quite long and quite enduring and being an endurance athlete. I think there's two aspects. I think there's the performance and then there's the endurance. I think being an athlete, sort of my early years that was focused on really performance and sort of doing performing in a certain way helps me learn as a surgeon in terms of perfecting my technique and perfecting performance and things like that. Just like being meticulous, yeah, doing being something meticulous. the same way every time, thinking Practicing. about how you can make it better every time. Yeah, because yeah. that's really what gymnastics was about, it's doing the same routine over and over until you get this skill right and learning how to do it under pressure as well because you had judges watching, which I think is yeah. not that different than if you don't do this right now for this patient, they could end up hurt or dead. Yeah. Um, so I think um, that aspect is important, but I think especially in vascular or any other field where we have really long cases, you learn how to work through fatigue or pain or, um, you know, all the physical aspects that get uncomfortable. It's just kind of like frustration of like wanting to move forward and having to be, go slowly and focus. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And I think not only does learning how to sort of fight those demons as an endurance athlete has, I think it's made me a better surgeon. I think being a surgeon in some ways has made me a better endurance athlete as well because the same the same skills of saying hey yeah maybe my body hurts maybe it's telling me this but acknowledging of course I'm tired of course my legs hurt of course I'm hungry I haven't I've been standing for 12 hours and I haven't eaten and saying okay like 
these are natural feelings, but it's fine. I can work through this. Those are skills that have helped me on both sides of the fence. Maybe I could take up sports in this, my 42nd year. Uh, it's I, never I, too late. I can do the surgery, right? Yeah. yeah, it's never too late. Cool. Beyond just sort of the the general way that sports and, and surgery align in terms of performance and endurance, I mean, you've actually found ways to work with athletes as a vascular surgeon, which when I think about vascular surgery, I think of it as the anti-pediatric surgery, right? I work in babies, and we're, you know, we talk about saving lifetimes, and I think about vascular surgery as... In many cases, it's palliative surgery. It's, mm-hmm. it's surgery for people who have many, many medical conditions, often people sort of getting towards the end of life who have real pain-limiting conditions, um, you know, where they just aren't getting blood flow to their extremities, you know. But it's not just that. It's not just operating in 80- and 90-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Like, you are operating in, in performance athletes and in endurance athletes. It is. It's interesting because, you know, the majority of my practice is patients over the age of 65, at least, that have sort of these life-limiting conditions. And unfortunately, it's absolutely true. Most of what we do in vascular surgery is palliative because we're fighting atherosclerosis, and that just doesn't go away. Um, So we're sort of fixing one problem, knowing we're going to have another problem to fix down the line. But with these high-performance athletes, they do develop problems that are treated by vascular surgeons and largely go unrecognized because most of them don't get referred to us until quite late in the game because a 20-year-old whose legs hurt when they run are not going to say, I bet I have a vascular problem. They're going to go see their sports medicine doc first. Right. So. Who's going to say, oh, you've got a muscle sprain or you've been training the wrong way or you are just weak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been really interesting to get to work with this patient population. I mean, when I chose to go into vascular surgery, I think this was this was not a consideration for me. However, it's been sort of serendipitous to end up at the University of Wisconsin where we treat a lot of these patients because I really, I feel a good, a strong connection to these patients and I understand what they're going through and I can sort of really sympathize with a lot of the the symptoms that they're having and their desire to get better despite maybe having something that's not life-limiting or like lifestyle-limiting. Or like lifestyle-limiting as long as you don't mind not being able to run right. marathons, but People who run marathons like to run marathons. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> they want to get back to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think if you don't fully appreciate that in a patient, like it's not unreasonable to say, well, but your legs don't hurt till you run a 5K. Isn't that enough? Why would you want to have a surgery for that? And I think I do appreciate that sometimes they desire to go farther. And if this is, if their chronic compartment syndrome or if their popliteal entrapment is what's holding them back, and that's the only thing holding them back, we can fix that and we can get them back to the activities that they really love. I hadn't realized that Wisconsin is sort of an international center for this. You're taking care of patients coming from all over to address these high-performance athletic vascular surgical concerns. Yeah, so um, really this is a legacy that Dr. Turnipseed created. I'm seeing a lot of these patients now that are referred from other sports medicine practices or even referrals through athletic trainers at universities that have been evaluated locally and there's a suspicion that they do have chronic compartment syndrome or functional entrapment and they get sent here because we see a lot of it. And so we're comfortable making the diagnosis and we're comfortable treating the condition. So, For 
folks out there who are themselves marathon runners and are having leg pain when they run, I know that I can't run a 5K without my legs hurting. But I know why that is. It's not a vascular problem. There's another problem. <laughs> but for people out there who are, who are you know, high-performance athletes who, who are having pain or issues or, or for physicians who are seeing those people, what are the things that you would suggest people sort of look out for and think about as being potentially a vascular problem as opposed to any of these other issues that could be sort of driving pain after sports? Yeah. So there's a couple of key things because it is, I mean, if you go out and you push yourself, it's going to hurt. And so I think it's important to know what is clearly atypical claudication or suggestive of a vascular etiology and what is not. So I think one of the key factors is to have pain in a specific muscle group that occurs at a reproducible amount of work. Mm. So the classic description of this would be that a patient gets pain in their anterior lower leg, sort of over their sort of the that anterior muscle that happens every time they run a mile or more. Another really important aspect of it is that if they rest or they stop for usually several minutes to 10 minutes, it gets better and they can then go on to run again. Mm -hmm. But then it will occur around the same distance again. So it's this reproducible pain in the same location at a fixed distance. And that's really sort of the classic presentation. Usually it, it doesn't hurt at rest. It doesn't hurt not sort of that delayed um, muscle soreness that occurs the next right, like day. The next day yeah. It's it's something that occurs while exercising at around the same time. Mm -hmm. The question then becomes which vessels are involved and why. Mm -hmm. right. Exactly. So pain in the thigh um, would suggest that the problem's more upstream in the iliac arteries, which are up in the pelvis. Pain in the calf usually suggests involvement of the popliteal artery, which is behind the knee. So it's usually the muscle group below the area of compression or injury that is going to be the muscle group that, that really talks to us, that tells us that there's a problem. And the typical problem is not what we see in older patients where there's like plaque in the vessel, it's that something's getting kinked or taking a circuitous path and the demands for blood flow just can't be met because the, the artery is just not open. Yeah, exactly. Right? So it usually starts as some sort of muscle hypertrophy that causes compression of the artery in some way. And then with repetitive exercise, that repeated compression of the muscle can actually cause arterial injury. So it can cause mm. thickening of the lining of the artery, which is, you know, thickening of the lining of the artery also occurs with atherosclerosis, but this looks very different. It's more of a smooth muscle hyperplasia or a smooth muscle thickening rather than a buildup of a plaque. Yeah. So it's just sort of the effect of chronic injury and inflammation. Yeah. Yeah. There are good operations. Yeah, there for are. For these problems. There are. Uh, depending on the amount of damage to the artery itself, a lot of times the artery is normal and it's really just releasing whatever physical structure, be it muscle, tendinous band, is causing the compression. Or if there is actual arterial damage, it's just repairing the muscle and usually either putting a patch on it or doing a short bypass. And these folks get back to full Ironman level activity afterwards. Yeah, that's the goal. So the majority yeah. of them really do return to the sport. I think an important aspect of it is that they are going to need to take a pretty significant period of recovery mm. that we can't get them, you know, if 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 they say I want to run an Ironman in a month, I usually say how about deferring till next year. Yeah. But with a period of recovery, we can absolutely get them back to their activities. Fantastic. It's just so cool. I mean, I think both 
the fact that you know we have these technologies to help people with very distinct problem around high performance athletics and and also that, that the people we have doing those procedures are like people who themselves like come from that world and understand that world so I think that this is also so great. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Next time on The Surgery Set, we welcome back Dr. Gurjit Sandhu. She's an associate professor in surgery and medical education at the University of Michigan Medical Center. And she's been on The Surgery Set before, talking about innovations in medical education, specifically a new surgical residency training model called Entrustment and Entrustability. We continue our conversation on this progressive training model. Please tune in. Thanks for listening. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by Elizabeth DiNovella. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. I encourage you to visit us at surgery.wisc.edu, where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. In addition, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. And of course, you can follow us on social media. You can like our Facebook page and also find us on Twitter at WiscSurgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing, rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Thanks, and we hope you check back soon. On Wisconsin.